When we hear that something is processed or stored in the cloud, we often think we understand what that means. At least I did. Sure, I know the data is not literally in the cloud, in the sky. It's data sitting on a bare metal server in Virginia or Poland or somewhere like that. But what is on those servers? They're composed of virtual machines that can be easily spun up or down as needed. Virtual machines allow the cloud to be elastic, ever-changing, to grow as demand requires, and to shrink if needed. So, what's a hypervisor or a virtual machine? It's the software that emulates a physical computer virtually to run programs, operating systems, store data, connect to networks, and do other typical computing functions. You can create as many VMs as you want on one physical server, which is the point. So what does that really mean? Think about all the hardware devices and interfaces that are needed to connect your physical server to the network. Now, recreate all or most as virtual services. So the physical network card, the backbone of any network communications, is now a VM network card. It functions the same way as a physical network card, except everything is done in software. And if you're like me, you already know that software can have vulnerabilities in it. Okay, okay, hardware can also have vulnerabilities, but software vulnerabilities are more subtle, and sometimes they take some time or some research to be exposed. In the last few years, major organizations have moved organizational workloads that used to run entirely on-premises into the public cloud. Given this increasing value, a security researcher today needs to start proactively thinking like a criminal hacker and deliberately try to crash the cloud. At least, try to do so before the bad actors can leverage that same vulnerability. So it's a race. In a moment, I'll introduce you to two researchers from Black Hat USA 2021 who built their own fuzzing tool designed to handle the special needs for security testing hypervisors and how, within two hours of running that tool, for the very first time, they found a critical vulnerability, one that could have brought down whole regions of Microsoft Azure. Important research that only underscores the immediate need for more tools like theirs and much, much more attention on cloud security. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this episode, I'm introducing two security researchers who built a specialized fuzzer to handle hypervisors and how they're releasing the tool on GitHub and hope to encourage others to find even more vulnerabilities in public clouds such as Microsoft Azure, Google, and Amazon AWS. While listening to this episode, there are two adages that might be important to keep in mind. One, complexity is the enemy of security. The other, obscurity is not security. I say these because in researching the story, I found that I thought I had a grasp on cloud architecture, and then I didn't. 
Microsoft defines server virtualization as the process of dividing a physical server into multiple unique and isolated virtual servers by means of a software application. Each virtual server can run its own operating systems independently. Server virtualization is also a process that creates and abstracts multiple virtual instances on a single server. The underlying virtualization technology for Microsoft Azure is known as Hyper-V. The public cloud, then, is very complex and very intertwined with both old and new technologies. So that's complexity. There's also a lot of stuff that simply isn't well documented. That's obscurity. This then becomes fertile ground for cutting-edge security research. I'm Peleg Hadar. I'm a senior security researcher working at Saybridge. My name is Ophir Harpaz. I'm a senior security researcher for Gardicore Labs. So what was the initial concept that led Ophir and Peleg to even look at hypervisors? Mm -hmm. I think there are two aspects uh, to this. The first is that hypervisors today are the basis of uh, cloud infrastructures. So any security flaw in a hypervisor means much broader impact, not only on one virtual machine, but any virtual machine running on a host. Uh, and the second aspect is the technological challenge. Hypervisors are uh, a whole separate domain, uh, and it requires knowledge and research, and both Peleg and I were extremely interested in this world. Uh, hypervisors are enormous pieces of code. They have dozens of components, and simply digging into that was very exciting for the two of us. Ophir and Peleg saw a need and understood the challenge of looking for vulnerabilities in the cloud. For one thing, they needed to design a tool for that. So at Black Hat USA 2021, they presented a talk entitled at Halfle One, Our Journey of Fuzzing Hyper-V and Discovering a Zero Day. We'll get to the zero day in a moment. But why did they choose Hyper-V? According to Microsoft's uh, official website, Azure Cloud is being used by uh, with 95% of the Fortune 500 companies. What it actually means is that an attacker might deploy a very uh, cheap VM virtual machine and uh, by using a single instance, just send the vulnerable packet, which we found, and just crash the whole host, which hosts other companies' infrastructure as well. So it's very critical. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that previous Black Hat USA talks have addressed various Hyper-V vulnerabilities. However, over time, there have been very few. Like, if you take a look at the Windows OS, each month uh, during Patch Tuesday, Microsoft patches between 80 and 120 vulnerabilities, which means that a lot of researchers are using fuzzing and static analysis and just take a look of this field. And Hyper-V, I think, uh, the maximum vulnerability which is being patched during a single patch Tuesday is one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the number. And it means that a lot of researchers are not taking a look of it. But I think that Microsoft's trying to encourage a lot of researchers to take a look of it because the bug bounty award, the maximum one is $250K uh, for such a bug. Whoa, so there's a Hyper-V bounty program with a payment up to $250,000 US? This can be a very lucrative line of research. Even so, this remains a research blind spot. There doesn't seem to be a lot of people coming forward with their work. I think people have thought of it and actually done it. Maybe they're not talking about it in Black Hat, but 
it's a niche, but some people do it. Uh, some people are reaching out to us talking about the research because they do similar things. I don't think we're going to make a revolution in terms of uh, hypervisor fuzzing, but we're making a small progress here and it's going to remain a niche in the next coming years, but hopefully it'll grow. More and more researchers will hopefully uh, engage in such type of research. As we said, hypervisors recreate physical computers in software. By definition, they're a massive binary blob. A lot of software security testing today still begins with static analysis, which means parsing individual lines of code and identifying common weaknesses in coding practices. Although static analysis is largely automated, it's still time-consuming on the other side for a researcher to pour over and then eliminate the many false positives that static analysis can produce. Obviously, pouring over all that code in the cloud would be impossible, if not slow. Fuzzers, then, are tremendously important in the realm of vulnerability research. They're dynamic, for one thing, so they're looking at the running code and monitoring its behavior. By rapidly feeding a target with numerous inputs, they quickly automate the process of bug discovery. The main two approaches, as you mentioned, to find vulnerabilities, the first one is static analysis, which means that security researcher will just deep dive into uh, some piece of code and we'll try to learn it and how it behaves and we'll try to, to look for certain flaws in the code. And obviously fuzzing, uh, try to achieve uh, vulnerability research by doing it automatically. So I think that it really de depends on uh, the target that you're uh, uh, do the fuzz on. So what exactly is a fuzzer? It's an engine that injects mutations of known valid input into an application and then monitors how that software handles it, quickly identifying anomalous behavior and even crashes. So I would say fuzzing is a technique uh, for testing some program, uh, which basically sends countless of inputs to a program that expects input. Uh, and it does it uh, while monitoring crashes and unexpected unexpected behavior on the target, and by that it identifies security vulnerabilities or uh, code flaws in the target program. So who would be using fuzzing today? If I'm not mistaken, fuzzing actually started as a testing yeah. technique, so mostly quality assurance, uh, but I think it, it evolved into being a tool for a security researcher just because, as Peleg said, uh, it, it is capable of identifying problems in the code, uh, which can be leveraged into exploitation, maybe. The most uh, popular, uh, like, mostly security researchers will use fuzzing in order to find vulnerabilities uh, in an automatic manner, and this is what we did in the project. And additionally, a lot of companies today are using uh, fuzzing in order to find vulnerabilities uh, inside their own code. Uh, flaws and vulnerabilities. So I think these are the, the main usages today. Yeah, big companies such as Microsoft, Google, Apple, and NVIDIA have all publicly disclosed their use of fuzzing as part of their software development lifecycle. And smaller companies are joining in as well. As code becomes more complex, as functions become more obscure, it just makes common sense to be fuzzing your code these days. However, not all fuzzing engines have really looked at the problem of hypervisors. 
So Ophir and Peleg researched a lot of open source fuzzers available today, and they settled on KFAL, which is a flavor of American Fuzzy Lop, or AFL. Examine multiple uh, uh, fuzzers out there, and we the main ones that seems pretty useful for us at that time were Syscall and KFL. And we actually uh, read about each one, and we, we, uh, we actually uh, we read about KFL, and we saw that uh, it has all of the uh, components we, we wanted to achieve within a fuzzer. Again, not all fuzzers are built alike. And for this project, there were additional components which would make it much, much easier in terms of efficiency and performance. KFL was simply suitable for our needs because, yeah. more specifically, we did not target Hyper-V as a whole. Mm-hmm. We targeted a specific uh, driver in Hyper-V, right. the networking yeah. switch. And KFL was easy to bootstrap with, I think. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it had code coverage, like Felix said, was, was a very significant uh, parameter in choosing it. And also, we did not fuzz with uh, system calls like syscaller supports, mm-hmm. we fuzzed using very designated network packets that are proprietary for Hyper-V. So KFL, I think, was easy to choose, and it also had the basis for what we needed. We added structure awareness and yeah. uh, crash monitoring We had a few later. gaps which we knew we had to implement, but it didn't stop us. I mean, uh, such as structure awareness is a fair match. Structure awareness, leveraging knowledge of the input format to generate test cases for your target. This means that the fuzzer doesn't send arbitrary sequences of bytes to the target, but rather these are inputs that are structured in a way that could be valid. In episode 24, I talked in detail about structure-aware fuzzing with Harrison Green. We talked about creating valid test cases within parameters of a PNG file, for example. We also talked about applying the concept of structure-awareness to fuzzing whole libraries. To Ophir and Peleg, why was structure-aware fuzzing very important? Because your target may expect things that are not simply sequences of bytes, but sequences of bytes that are meaningful, that that are split into different fields, etc. In our case, these were packets. But you can fuzz a program that expects certain file formats, pictures, PDFs, uh, symbol files, things like that. Uh, so in our case, we integrated structure awareness to make sure that we send meaningful packets and not arbitrary uh, bytes. So. We actually used protocol buffers by Google. That's a framework for presenting data uh, with structure. And we integrated uh, a library called libprotobufmutator, which performs the mutation or the changes of the, the fuzzing payloads based on the fields. It does not simply turn one bit, uh, sets or unsets a bit, but it takes a field as a meaningful unit and mutates it. If a field is an integer, for example, it'll make sure it stays an integer. If a field is a string, it'll make sure it mutates it as a string. Another important property to a fuzzer is coverage guidance, the ability to mutate inputs based on your previously visited execution paths. When you're running and testing software, you want to make sure that you're pushing deeper and deeper into the code. So think that you have some kind of a software that you currently, this is your target uh, while you're, you do the fuzzing. And obviously, if you'll send uh, random packets each time, let's say I have one byte and I'll just send random bytes, it might uh, do something on the software. It might uh, call uh, 
some new piece of code that you didn't uh, trigger before, and it might do nothing because you don't know if it, the software you fuzz uh, actually parses the data and thinks it's like it makes any difference. So, uh, so code coverage uh, actually helps you understand whether a single packet that you send during the fuzzing actually triggered an interesting code or triggered any code for that matter. And this is actually what makes the fuzzer efficient because you can just send uh, random inputs for like one week and it won't trigger any code. But if you do code coverage, you understand exactly whether you triggered some code. And if you did, you take the same payload, the same fuzzing input, and you just do some kind of a mutation on it. And this is actually uh, giving you much more visibility uh, rather than just do some kind of a blind fuzzing and hope that something will be good. So we more or less have a fuzzer, KFL. Now, Ophir and Peleg needed to identify a target for that fuzzer. Remember, all the hardware devices and interfaces that are needed to connect to your physical server are now software in the cloud. So you have things like VM buses, VM switches, and so forth. So where do you start? More importantly, there's an architecture that reigns it all in. You have nested virtual machines, and that gets us back to complexity. It's actually uh, it's a, it's a problem that is related to all of the hypervisors. I think that if you're uh, using a fuzzer and you'd like to fuzz the, uh, the hypervisor, uh, obviously it runs other VMs as well. Imagine a PowerPoint slide with a box. That's your hypervisor. And within that hypervisor box is two other boxes. These are virtual machines. The way Hyper-V is architected, one of these VMs is the host with the operating system, and the other are the guest or child VMs, as many as you need. If a bare metal server is level zero, then the host is level one, and the child VMs are level two. So you have your, uh, uh, your VM within your father. Uh, in our case, it was Hyper-V. And Hyper-V is an hypervisor itself, so it has also uh, more VMs within it. And this uh, double layer actually made it more uh, hard to do it because you need to communicate between two hypervisors. Uh, in other words, it initially appeared that Peleg and Ophir had to fuzz both level one and level two. And that felt kind of clunky, if not improbable. Today, not a lot of researchers are uh, taking a look of hypervisors. These are uh, like pretty new uh, technology, I might say, and there is no, there aren't a lot of vulnerabilities which exist in this field, in particular Hyper-V. So I think that this was uh, one of the main reasons we actually wanted to dive into because there is no prior documentation or uh, prior technical details about it, and we had to learn a lot of a lot of things from scratch and develop our own methods and techniques. So it was pretty challenging, and this is actually one of the main reasons we started the project. Turns out there was a solid precedent for fuzzing Hyper-V components. In 2019, there was a Microsoft blog about fuzzing para-virtualized devices in Hyper-V. And this blog planted an important seed with Ophir and Peleg since it talked about the potential vulnerabilities found in inner partition communication. They began to suspect that this communication channel could be fragile. For example, if a bad packet was passed from a guest VM to the host, it could crash the system. As they searched through documented and undocumented parts of Hyper-V, they settled upon vmswitch.sys, 
which is a VSP responsible for networking within Hyper-V. This virtual switch more or less emulates a switch as a Layer 2 network device would, communicating with the physical server and also with guest VMs. Think about that. Seems logical that if you could somehow crash the communication switch, you might also crash the host, if not some of the children as well. And though we've identified a target, vmswitch.sys, we still haven't identified how the fuzzer might address it. In our uh, case on Hyper-V, which is, we'll talk about, and this is a very complex target, and uh, there is a lot of challenges in order to just develop the fuzzer. You have to exactly understand how does it work and how do you send inputs and whether the inputs are being parsed by the target. And obviously there are uh, much easier targets, which you just need to send any data you would like, and it will eventually crash. So it really depends on what is your target of the fuzzing. Another of the core concepts in fuzzing is the harness, which is basically a couple lines of code that is responsible for sending fuzzing inputs to the target software. Creating one for a hypervisor, well, that created a lot of work. So basically the harness part, as Fir mentioned during the talk, is, uh, is the most uh, important part of the fuzzer because you'll have to understand exactly how do you send inputs to the target. You'll have to, this is actually the main component of the fuzzer because at the end, the fuzzer will just keep sending inputs to the target. And it's not always uh, so simple because uh, there are like software which using a, a very simple API which you can just send uh, packets or input. With Hyper-V, we had to do a lot of reverse engineering and understand exactly how do we send uh, data that is parsable. And in our case, we called an undocumented function. Uh, we reverse engineered it and we just sent our input by using it. And after we actually completed this part, it was much easier to build all of the infrastructure around it because this, is, uh, this was the main component. Having decided on a fuzzer, having built a successful harness, Ophir and Peleg tested their new tool on CVE 2019-0717, which is a Windows Hyper-V denial-of-service vulnerability that was discovered and patched about a year before they spoke at Black Hat. After working with that known vulnerability, they began to see how they could make their tool much more efficient. I, think that I guess the it whole took us project, a couple of months. Yeah, I think that the whole project from the moment we started to work on it till the moment we found a vulnerability was like six months, mm -hmm. I think. Six months. And, and as I mentioned, like the, the part that took us the most time was the harness part because uh, we actually used uh, Hyper-V and Hypervisor and it was not trivial to, to send data between two virtual machines because you're using uh, two different computers, virtual computers. So we found a pretty cool trick which actually uh, by doing some kind of a workaround, we actually were able to fuzz uh, Hyper-V from within a single VM, single computer, and this has actually made it all easier. And this is actually kind of brilliant, that aha moment when they realized that instead of trying to fuzz two virtual machines in Hyper-V, level one and level two, they could instead just concentrate on level one. After that, things progressed rapidly. Yeah. We had a lot of versions. So we deployed the fuzzer and then we improved it and added more components and it wasn't always stable. But once we achieved a stable version, which actually worked, it took two hours until I called Ophir and told her, 
we found a bug, <laughs> which apparently was a remote code execution bug. I cannot believe it as well. Yeah. Until yeah. today, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, calls for papers at major conferences are held months in advance of the actual conference. If I understand, they spent several months just building the fuzzing tool, one that they had not yet stabilized, one which they had not yet found a vulnerability, Yet they went ahead and started the submission process for Black Hat. That was the exact story, but I think that uh, our chances were, uh, were high, uh, even without finding a vulnerability, because the tool that we wrote is the first one, the first fuzzer, which is uh, also open source and is capable of targeting Hyper-V. There is no other open source fuzzer, uh, at least nowadays, that is capable of fuzzing any hypervisor and not Hyper-V as well. So I think this is revolutionary... Uh, without even the vulnerability. Vulnerability is, uh, is uh, extra. So we actually, uh, our like final target was our Black Hat talk. And there was a due date to, to the CFP, the call for papers uh, of Black Hat. And I think that we found this vulnerability like a week before the, the due date. Yeah, so we had our father and we started to think like what we're going to publish and how we're going to, to, to market it. And then we found a vulnerability, which was great. They arrived at a name, and it's actually pretty logical. We call it HEFL1 because H is for hypervisor. AFL is because we used KFL and the AFL fuzzer algorithm. And L1 because we used only one level of virtualization, only one VM. And I think it had a lot of benefits. And the main one is actually you don't need to send data between two separate VMs, which has a lot of overhead because you need to send it and then it it will arrive to another VM and it will be parsed. We only have one level of virtualization and we send the data within it. So it actually made our fuzzer much more faster. And I think that we, we made something like uh, 22,000 executions per second, which is pretty fast. 22,000 executions has the potential to find crashes fast, which it did. But even then, they needed to be careful. I'd like to emphasize that uh, not in all targets, a crash is a bug, just like you said, but being able to crash a hypervisor host is critical, uh, especially when it's the basis of Azure, Microsoft Public Cloud. If you manage to crash a Hyper-V host, this means you can crash Azure regions potentially. And with this region, you take down all machines running on top of it. So, you know, blue screen sounds maybe uh, not that severe, but in hypervisors context and cloud context, this has tremendous impact. So after additional testing, after validating that it was real, they engaged in responsible disclosure with Microsoft. We immediately sent uh, disclosure emails to MSRC, Microsoft Security and Response Center. And they, uh, they responded quite quickly and they tested the vulnerability as well. Uh, they asked, asked us for the tools that we used and the, the exploit itself that we developed. And uh, yeah, they, they assigned it with uh, an ICVE and gave it a critical score. 9.9 .9 out of 10. And it's not hyperbolic to say it is perhaps the most critical hypervisor vulnerability to date. What Peleg and Ophir found was CVE 2021-28476 can be trivially exploited to gain denial of service or remote code execution on a virtual host. 
you have your own virtual machine, you crash the host, this host potentially runs multiple other virtual machines that depend on it. So once the host is down, everything is down. Everything is down. Yeah. Given that it scored a 9.9 out of 10 in severity, I would imagine something like that would be very hard to keep to yourself. When you disclose a vulnerability, this was my first actually, but I was extremely thrilled about it. I think Felic was too. And my instinct is immediately go to Twitter where all information yeah, security yeah. happens and tweet about it. I stopped and actually they <laughs> No, you didn't. Actually, MSRC helped me censor my tweet so that I can actually tell the world oh, yeah. that we found a bug without actually disclosing details yeah. from it. So they, they were very cooperative uh, and they, they helped us get the message out without actually giving details for potential attackers. That was very nice. I've heard from different hackers that sometimes reporting a vulnerability to a vendor leads to silence. That's not the case with Microsoft. In fact, they've gotten pretty good of late at reporting vulnerabilities out to the public. The result can be seen in subsequent Patch Tuesdays where they give credits to individuals who reported the vulnerabilities. In this case, Peleg and Ophir had a good experience. And this because it was a critical vulnerability that Microsoft knew it had to fix. They actually patched it. Uh, it took a few months, but obviously when you're reporting uh, vulnerability uh, on such a critical and complex uh, environment, such as uh, Hyper-V and Azure Cloud, uh, I can only assume that it might take a long time to uh, test the patches. And obviously, if the patch is, uh, is not valid, they can just crash a lot of infrastructures, which are depends on uh, on Azure Cloud. Uh, but it was pretty fast. I mean, it took like uh, three months, I think, mm -hmm. since the moment we reported until they closed and patched it which is uh, pretty fast on, you know, on Hyper-V terminology, yeah. So once they submitted to Black Hat, once they reported the vulnerability to Microsoft, once they got accepted for that talk, Peleg and Ophir took a nice long vacation. What? No? So we actually uh, centralized all of the details and we wrote the call for papers area, uh, document and we sent it. And then we had one month to like uh, have a lot of rest. And then we, we got a message from Black Hat that we got in. Uh, got accepted and then we we started working again and we had to finalize the tool and do code review and refactoring a lot of things so i think that until last week we worked non-stop I mean, also uh, i have to say that preparing the presentation itself took months of work yeah. seriously like creating the slides and rehearsing it we did it so many times we can no longer hear ourselves saying those things So at Black Hat, Peleg and Ophir released Heffel One on GitHub as an open source fuzzing tool. They also released a harness as well to help other researchers get started. So is this perhaps still too niche to be more than an academic tool? So I think it might be used by both. I mean, KFL is an academic project, uh, which is today being used by a lot of, I think other companies maybe, I don't know if for commercial purposes, but a lot of security researchers are using it. So I really hope that we will have some kind of a reference in academical uh, stuff, but I really hope that even for commercial uh, purposes or even Microsoft themselves will use some kind of our, uh, some part of our code and just find more bugs because this is actually was our purpose. We wanted to people to just learn about hypervisors and how do you 
uh, start a research and how do you find more bugs and I, I really hope we make it we made it more approachable. So what other targets might Haffle One be used for? So with regards <laughs> to your question about other targets as well, so Hyperbrick does uh, contains a lot of components. Uh, these are called uh, uh, virtual service providers, VSPs. Our target was the VM switch driver, which is in charge of the networking part. There are a lot of other components which uh, I think that might be great targets. We didn't have the time to to actually take our father and target them, but I think uh, it will be really interesting for other security researchers to take our tool half a one and try and target these uh, VSPs. In addition, I wanted to to add that uh, half a one. Uh, we publish it uh, today. Tomorrow I'm going to release Heffel 2, which is a side product which actually supports nested virtualization as well. So it might be a great tool as well for fuzzing other hypervisors, not particular Hyper-V. And uh, I think it might be useful as well. So I think we actually, uh, as I said, we, we made it more approachable and we gave a lot of basic tools which help other researchers. And we hope to see in one year or five years, uh, much more other researchers uh, using it and maybe even talking on Black Hat and refer it to us. And for Ophir and Peleg, what is the next target? Uh, I'm not sure we, we have decided yet, <laughs> but uh, maybe we might. Uh, We're both very interested uh, in this type of targets. Yeah, It could be Hyper-V because we're already in it and we have some knowledge at this point, but it can be also VMware or uh, VirtualBox, which is open source. KVM we'll see and stuff, yeah. where future leads us. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, I think that hypervisor research, uh, obviously because it's very complex and it's uh, only the beginning of uh, these kind of researchers, I really believe that like in five or 10 years, most of the researchers will take a look of these targets. And therefore, this is why I, this is why I hope that a lot of researchers will do some kind of a pivot and will start research this field. I believe it's very interesting and it's very challenging. And this is, as Ophir mentioned, the future. Every cloud environment is based on uh, this and it has a lot of impact. I'd really like to thank Ophir and Peleg for enduring the background noise of Black Hat USA 2021 during their interview about their journey in building a hypervisor fuzzing tool and explaining some of the complexity inherent in cloud systems. This is important research, so check out the Haffle 1 and Haffle 2 tools on GitHub. Remember, at least with regards to Hyper-V, Microsoft offers a pretty generous bug bounty program. Hey! Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join our subreddit or a Discord channel. You can find the deets and invites at thehackermind.com. The Hacker Mind podcast is brought to you every two weeks, commercial free by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mind, I remain the fully vaxxed and fuzz tested, vulnerability free Robert Vimosi.